Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. Thank you for hitting that play button and joining us on this week's adventure in which we will be breaking apart Season 4's Daedalus. My name is Kyle West and if you can hear an echo when I speak it's because I've chosen comfort over sound quality this week. I'm sat at my breakfast bar, chilling and loving life, as opposed to bending over my kids' food table which I pulled in front of my sofa with loads of cushions behind my back to try and sit me up. As always on this show, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Hill. Chris, say hello. Hello. There we go. See, I sounded very happy. So uh, how are you? Been better, been worse. It's It's been a rough week uh, with my mom being on vacation. I'm taking over for the store. so And also taking care of her, well, when she left, her three dogs. But Friday, their oldest one passed away sometime between when I went into work and when I had a chance to come back. Oh man, that's rough to hear. Like we obviously chatted about that before we recorded and and when he messaged me the other day and because I said to you and I I went yeah. through the exact same thing like a, a month and a bit ago at the time of recording, you know, with um, my family dog and first time we'd ever lost a dog in our family. I don't know if it was for you or not. This is the th- well, we've lost a few few along the way. So this this wasn't the first. Never easy, though. Yeah, the first one that I've had to deal with, taking care of the arrangements and everything. Yeah. Well, well done for getting through that, man. Uh, yeah. Sorry for sorry for the loss, and, um, you know, rest in peace, yeah. dog. Um, what was the dog's name? Pepper. Well, I, technically Pepper, too, because my stepdad had another black miniature poodle just like this one, and he was named Pepper, and he passed about five, six, seven months before we got Pepper, too. Well, Pepper, too, I hope you're listening to this podcast wherever you are right now. This episode is dedicated to you. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast to view our subscription tiers. Benefits of becoming a patron include earlier access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we will be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details for this podcast episode. Before we get into this week's big discussion, uh, we'll just do a little bit of business, as we always do. You can follow us on social media at NX01Podcast. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please, whatever app you're using to listen to the show, if it lets you rate us, please rate us. Five stars would be great. 
anything less, please just don't put it on there. Just tell us <laughs> privately if you hate our show. I imagine you've probably stopped listening at this point if you don't like us, though. And yeah, make sure you subscribe to the show on your on your app. Thank you to everyone who's already hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you haven't, just get your phone out your pocket now or however you're listening and just hit subscribe or favorite. I guess favorite means subscribe as well when you click that. Yeah, yeah on some of them, yeah. Why don't you just make it easier and just say subscribe? I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting old and grumpy and stuff now. Get so. off my lawn. Yeah, that, well, yeah, that's definitely where I'm headed. I know, I know that much. Okay, so this week we're talking about Daedalus, which has a different pronunciation generally to yourself, like certainly in America, which is... Daedalus. Daedalus. Now, I had to quickly research the pronunciation of this before the episode because I knew you called it Daedalus. I always just called it Daedalus even though it's not even spelt that way anyway. Yeah. But that's just how I've always lazily said it. But I had a quick look online. Apparently, British English was Daedalus. Uh, there's Daedalus. There's loads, loads of pronunciations. So we're just going to float between them all during this show. Not really important to the plot at all. Before we get to some questions about the plot and some discussion, let's go through through the plot. So a very quick summary of this one. This episode is about the man who created the transporter. It's a story we never knew we actually wanted on Enterprise because the transporter existed when it started. In Broken Bow, we were introduced to the transporter. We were led to believe it was a reasonably new creation, mm-hmm. uh, maybe was in use on cargo ships, maybe, or something. Not necessarily on them, but like being used for cargo, I should say. Primarily, yeah. Yeah, but the one on the Enterprise was approved for beaming actual living people around. So it was kind of already around. So I'd never thought about where it came from. But we find out in, in Daedalus, and in this episode, Emery Erickson, who was the man who created the transporter, he's coming on to Enterprise because he wants to work on a new transporter system that he has, which could beam people across the... Galaxy. Across the galaxy, yeah. And he thinks this will make starships obsolete. Trying to put Archer out of a job, as Archer says. Mm-hmm. He comes with his daughter, Danica, who Archer also knows. So Archer knew both these people. Archer appears to have kind of grown up with Danica and her brother, who is no longer with us, Quinn. He's passed away 15 years before in a transporter accident. I think it was, it was 15 years before, wasn't it? it was 15 yeah, 15 years, years. In a transporter accident during a test in, in the same area of space, an area of space that has no stars. I can't remember what they called it off the top of my head. But Emery's there to do this new transport system. I'm guessing in the Kelvin timeline, they must have made it. And that would explain how Scotty managed to beam Kirk <laughs> across space onto a moving ship that I think may have been moving at warp at that time as well. But Yeah, it was. In this episode, we found out very quickly on Trip, who was really looking forward to meeting Dr. Erickson. I think he was a doctor. We'll call him a doctor. Yeah. Trip was very happy to meet him. It was like meeting his hero. But actually, Emery's really weird with him. Doesn't want him doing anything. Wants to be left alone to do things. And you kind of sense that something's amiss. Something's not right. And we don't find out right away, but we do find out because basically there is a incident on the ship. They do the transport thing once. They manage to beam something further than they ever have before. 40,000 kilometers. That's right. Trip obviously ecstatic about this. Very shortly after, I think a in the armory, Reed, this might be the only time Reed shows up in this episode, actually. He and Ensign Burroughs, they hear something, lights go out. I mean, the, the ship's already dark anyway in this episode because they're trying to reserve power for the experiments. Issue with the lights, and then this like energy being appears. 
It makes physical contact with Burroughs. We hear a scream and then, good God, we get a look at his face. And it's like his whole skull has been almost crushed on one side and twisted and contorted. It just looks horrible. And he's dead. So Burroughs is dead. Archer's obviously really annoyed. He's putting two and two together about... It was when some lights went out. It was some energy thing that is tied in with the transporter stuff. I left goes over my head but i liked that they very quickly have gone to the doctor uh, to ericsson because they've sensed there's a connection he denies it we soon find out actually that he knows all about it and he and danica are lying to archer because they have an ulterior reason for being there and danica wants to tell archer because they're such good friends but her dad basically emotionally blackmails her into it basically he's going to save quinn he's going to save his son and danica's brother and so Eventually, Archer discovers this because it turns out he got tripped to do some spying, in a sense, and looking through logs. And then he confronts uh, Emery, admits what he's doing. Archer's obviously pissed off because he's lost a crewman due to this. But he still goes ahead and helps Emery with the, the mission, much to Trips and even to Paul's, but more so Trips. Anger, I guess, is the only way to describe it, that they're still helping him. This all eventually leads to they manage to successfully lock on to Quinn with the transporter but because he's like I guess lost in the something of that area I don't yeah. know. it's like a I don't know it's like some tiny wimey crap I don't know and they lock onto him but they can't get a proper lock on him so his cells start to destabilize and everything they still they got the option to either just lose him forever like cut the signal or at least do enough to bring him through but he's going to be dead and so yeah. um, Emery makes the decision in that moment to bring him through he dies in his arms he manages to get a few words out before he dies and then so they got the body back at least episode comes to an end with uh, Archer spoken to Starfleet, Emery doesn't know his future holds, but he knows he's in trouble, and that's it. But during all of that, Paul has been dealing with fallout from the Vulcan storyline, three-parter that took place before this, and the Kishara having been revealed to everyone, which is bringing yeah. logic and such proper logic and Surak's teachings back to Vulcan society. And Paul makes Trip aware by the end of the episode that even though she's now a free woman again because she's now divorced, or was it divorced or annulment? What do they call it with? I guess it's somewhere between an annulment and a divorce. Since, you know, with when when you go in, into the Califi, it's more than a betrothal, but less than an engagement. So there's got to be something something there for him. Yeah, she makes Trip aware that she's too wrapped up in her teaching she's trying to learn now. Mm-hmm. And it's changing society and her way of approaching life. And so she hasn't got any time for that relationship. So uh, the ongoing Trip and Paul storyline. Uh, we're right in the middle of it now in season four. So that was the episode. I don't think I missed anything there. I actually really, really enjoy this one, Chris. I don't know about yourself. This was the first true standalone of Enterprise since season two. Yeah. Season three was all, you know, I had standalone stories. They were all connected to the, the ongoing Zindi arc in some loosely or more loosely than others. The closest one you could call a standalone would have been Home, which was the third episode in season four. But even then, I think that... That was so intrinsically linked to everything right. that came from the Zindi arc that you have to tie it in with that. So yeah, this was the, the first standalone for a year and a half on the show. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. What was your initial thoughts on it, having watched it again? And maybe even if you remember your thoughts on it when you first saw it. When I first saw it, I really, I just really enjoyed the, the storyline of basically, you know, a father trying to, to save his son any way he could. I still still enjoy most recent watch which was really about the time we started recording so yeah <laughs> but with this i picked up on on a few more things that, that i had like you know i at this point i'd forgotten that to was kind of dealing with you know the new revelations on vulcan 
and also dealing with with her, you know, no longer having uh, Pinar syndrome. Mm, yeah, so that obviously comes into play uh, where Flox is doing a medical assessment on her, and mm-hmm. Paul just seems to not be able to believe that this uh, syndrome that she's meant to have for the rest of her life, um, that I imagine would probably be eventually become degenerative. I, I'm not sure. I can't remember how, what stigma so, yeah. um, establishes about it, but the but it's gone. It's been taken away from her either the previous episode or the one before i think it was but with Tapau took it from her so so it's being cured right across vulcan as well so they've fixed that aspect of continuity that anyone may have had an issue with beforehand <laughs> and yeah that, that was a big deal as well so this is actually interesting watch for that reason because even though it's a standalone obviously enterprise at this point had really um taken on board serialized storytelling even just for character arcs which is what we're being told strange new worlds is going to be like where standalone stories but the character stories are going to continue through each episode and it's funny because it means that deedless isn't a complete plug and play episode you kind of it is for everything except for the the depaul storyline and and i guess a little bit of trip with that you have to understand what is going on with them but i think they explained it well enough that yeah um, that if I hadn't ever seen the episode, like anything before, maybe I'd be a bit lost. But for someone who I hadn't watched those episodes for, I don't know how many months it was ago, that maybe six months ago that I finished watching it with Katie, but they did enough that would have reminded me even if it had been five years. Yeah. For me, um, it was about 14, 15 months ago from the last time that I had seen it. They do such a good job, I think, with the writing on this one. So the first thing I want to do before we really cut into the plot so much is and it's something that i think i've kind of noticed before but now we're in um and don't be wrong i mean black lives have always mattered but don't be wrong when i say this comment i'm about to make but now we're in a post black lives matter world of all the things that went on with george floyd and brianna taylor and all those things that's over in america at least and there's things going on in my country you become much more aware of the representation of black people Mm -hmm. on tv and there's an argument to be made that Enterprise had done a really shoddy job when you think about it. They had yeah. Travis Mayweather on the show who, after his own episode in season two with his family, obviously were all, all black as well, he was pretty much ignored mm-hmm. until really the last two part of season yeah. four when it seemed like they suddenly had a plan for him if the show had carried on. You mean the series finale, correct? Yeah, yeah, the, re- yeah, the, the, the <laughs> true series finale. The one, the one only one we'll acknowledge. Uh, interesting discussion about that on yes. uh, on Twitter the last couple of days. And so I think in this case, the fact that they made, you know, Dr. Emery Erickson, which I hadn't mentioned at any point before this, in my description of the plot, Mm -hmm. was a black man. And the reason I hadn't mentioned it before is because it shouldn't really matter. Exactly. I think actually when we live in this post-Black Lives Matter protest and post-George Floyd world and things like that, I think it's actually very important to make an observation on that, that Star Mm -hmm. Trek, without making a big song and dance about it, because I don't remember anything at the time either when it aired, and I do remember some people thinking this was a weak episode at the time because everyone was loving season four, but I think People weren't enamored with this episode as much at first. And I do not remember there being any fuss really about the fact that they'd let a black man be the creator of the transporter. And so I find that incredibly important. The transporter is one of the most famous pieces of Star Trek technology. There's a few things people who don't watch Star Trek, who may be in their 30s now, but like even when I was growing up, a few things people who don't watch it know about Star Trek. They normally know about Spock and Mm -hmm. Kirk, generally. Spock's probably more famous in pop culture than... Kirk but uh, they know the Enterprise 
and they know about the transporter. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty. Oh, maybe Klingons, but you know, so yeah. the, tra- the transporter is as famous as Spock. And so for them to say this was what this would have been, this would have aired probably before Christmas. I would have thought in yeah. fifty. Uh, sorry, I was, doing, I was doing the year of the of the timeline uh, in 2004 it would have aired then over here i would expect actually january of 05 so just oh, after the christmas break oh okay so that was about 48 no 38 years after tos started so for all yeah. this time we'd known about the transporter and and seen it in action saved the day in many episodes and now we find out oh guess what it was a black man who made it and that's not a yeah. big deal and i love that and i think i, I hope that means a lot to people who watch that now like um mm-hmm. anyone who's well basically anyone who's not white who can watch this show and and think that star trek just very casually told you that someone who looks like you <laughs> created the transporter you can do anything mm-hmm. and uh, and i think that's super important for for the young generation getting into star trek now as well i hope oh, yeah. they they all watch this episode and and see because i i think i think it's really good representation myself i don't know about uh, you obviously agree with me. Yes, definitely. But let's let's move on, then I guess to to thoughts on the story. So you enjoyed the episode, you said. What about the story itself? Then the you know the famous scientist who is now actually doing some sort of underhanded tactics to try and bring back his son, who's been lost to him for fifteen years. Because as we established in the episode, um, Erickson was responsible for the uh, the test. Well, his son being gone, him getting lost in an experiment. Yeah, it's really actually a great story, in my opinion. I mean, not the same as, you know, say, say the visitor from Deep Space Nine, you know, mm. but it's it's sort of along that 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 vein. But, you know, sort of like the rules are reversed a little bit where the one that's left behind will do anything to try to get the one that has disappeared. Yeah. So, yeah, the rules versus it's, yeah, it's the it's the dad, isn't it? Trying to get the son back mm-hmm. now as opposed to the son trying to get the dad back. And I guess the question would be, did Dr. Emery Erickson come off as a, a villain in this episode for you? I wouldn't say so much a villain. Um, I actually kind of see him more as an anti-hero as opposed to a, okay. a villain. What would be your reason for that? Um, because ultimately he's wanting to do good, but the ways that he's going about it aren't necessarily the ways that good people would go go about them. Well, he cost them another life. Yeah. They lost Ensign Burroughs, or Crewman Burroughs, I can't remember his rank, but they lost Burroughs due to all this and due to his lying. It's not like it happened after they found out what was really going on. Uh, it cost him a life. And then given that Quinn doesn't even survive the episode, he died for no reason other than to get the body back. Yeah. Because I think Quinn was essentially... He was essentially gone anyway. He didn't seem to be aware of any time having passed when he... Yeah. When he rematerialized. Yet for me, I thought Emery was a villain. Not right away when he comes in, but you know, like as soon right. as he's sort of denying Trip any op- any opportunity to help with the experiment yeah. and he won't let Trip see the the test plans and things like that. I was a bit like, oh, hang on now. This seems a little bit dirty. And then when we find out that that he is dirty, I just thought he didn't really show enough care for the fact that Burroughs was dead. Yeah. And then when he tried to like emotionally manipulate Danica as well. I just thought, man, this guy's a jerk. And he was just so matter of fact, even with Archer. Like yeah. You could see it was chewing Archer up. No, even more so when he was lying about not knowing what was going on when Archer was quizzing him after Burroughs died, but Archer doesn't know what's happening yet. And I thought Emery just acted so nonchalant about the whole thing. You could see Archer like almost chewing his gums. Yeah. Because he was like, I just, I respect this man too much, but I don't like that the death of one of my crew is is not 
affecting him in the slightest. So he struck me as a villain, to be fair, throughout. I never supported him at all. I did kind of hope that he got his son back, though, I guess. Like, I, yeah. I was hoping for a successful thing, if only to make it worthwhile. Otherwise, it's been for... Yeah, it's been for nothing otherwise. So how about the the revelation, I guess, we find out that Archer was quite close to this family growing up. So his dad, Archer's dad, helped create the warp engine they've got now. And then the turns out he also was hanging out with the family <laughs> who created the transporter. I really like that. Some people might, might you know, nod just because, you know, small universe syndrome. But mm. it's al- it's always nice when famous people kind of, you know, congregate together. And you actually see that in real life, too. So... It would make like, sense, you know, I guess, the, wouldn't it? All that... the, the scientific, yeah, the scientific minds, you know, they, they stay together and it, it wouldn't be, wouldn't surprise me in the least if, you know, a hundred years or so we actually see, see that happening. And I guess because it was all with the same goal in mind as well, which was mm-hmm. space travel, be it by, uh, by ship or by, uh, by transporter being. Yeah. So they, you would expect they would have crossed paths and, and worked together or at least... Yeah. yeah, had a lot to do with each other. Um, a question for you then about that with Archer. Okay. Do, uh, did you sense, and I get this every episode when I watch it, do you think there's any sort of like romantic history of any sort between Archer and Danica? Did you pick up on anything? Ooh, yeah, actually, that's that's one of the things I think on one of my last watch-throughs of it, I did sort of pick up, you know, that maybe they were a, a little bit, little bit closer you know when they were younger but then kind of drifted apart mm. but danica still wanting to maybe pursue a relationship but then emory had his accident where she had to take care of him yeah i turned to katie during this and i said katie i asked her the same question and she, she said oh yeah definitely and i was like no wait i don't think they've had like sex though but i reckon there was like some kissing mm. like that like they'd got to a physical point of a kiss, yeah. but I don't think there was ever any like, and they probably realized they were just friends and nothing else happened. But I just had a sense of something was there under the surface. Maybe they still had to spin the bottle. Maybe, maybe that was it. <laughs> maybe that was it. Both drunk, both drunk. And um... how about uh, Danica then? Because this seems to be a woman who gave up her own potential career. I mean, Archer says she belongs on a starship. She'd studied all of Enterprise's schematics and everything. She's obviously a smart woman, uh, but she gave it all up to look after her dad. Do you find that as being something that she... A wasted opportunity or, you know, round of applause, you've given up all of your opportunities to look after your father, who had all these in, these horrible injuries, we should say, yeah. from the transporter experiments? Um, that's, that's a tough one because it, I can see both sides of the argument on that. A lot of people would have been like, you know... He's old now, but I think I think it was an easier decision for Danica once Quinn was gone because then she was the only only child left to even you know remotely take care of him. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, because I guess before that, even if Emery had some of the injuries he had now, uh, I guess that yeah, the brother would have probably been more closely involved mm-hmm. with him, so could have cared for him, which maybe Danica didn't have to do. So who knows? Do you see her moving into a career in Starfleet uh, once they get back to Earth? Presumably she's not going to get charged with anything, any crimes, because it was Emery who... Under the assumption that, that she she doesn't get charged with anything, I think I think she does wind up going ahead and joining Starfleet and maybe even being uh, chief engineer of one of the, the newer ships. Well, there you go, when you do your... Um... Your writer's rooms. Yeah. To bring Danica back. 
uh, for an episode. <laughs> okay, so I mentioned just then about the injuries that yeah. Emery Eriksson's clearly got. Uh, his back seems to be deformed. And with his spine, he's having to have injections of I don't know what uh, he's having put into him. The way he ca- his hands moves his hands and stuff. He's in a wheelchair, yeah. mostly. He does stand at the end, but with help. So he clearly does need to be in a wheelchair. This has also come from the transporter. The, he's deformed himself, experimenting. And that's almost terrifying, isn't it? This piece of technology that yeah. we all say we'd love and things. And did it ever cross our minds that to actually create it, people were probably disfiguring <laughs> themselves or getting lost in in space? And doing it. What did that add to the transporter for you, like the history of the transporter in your mind? Did it even add anything? For me, it did. I was like, oh man, this is almost tragic. Yeah, it did. It did for me because, you know, it kind of establishes that, hey, you know, just like the warp drive, there are kinks that needed to be worked out. Hmm. And I'd never really thought about that previously. It never crossed my mind. There's so much with the transporter we just took for granted, you know, and then you just, mm-hmm. just they bring along the inventor of it and you're like, holy crap. Yeah, someone would have had to invent it. <laughs> yeah. Someone would have had to test it. And I guess it kind of as well almost adds layers of reasoning to why like Reed and Travis were saying what they were saying in Broken Bow about not wanting to use the transporter and and everyone's unease about it. Yeah. Certainly before season four when it starts to get used a bit more often. But because you imagine these guys probably know about what's happened to... Emery's body and they probably know about Quinn having um, disappeared and things like that so these stories we didn't know them as an audience but they probably were floating around for at least for anyone who's going to have to work with one such as the NX01 crew so yeah interesting um, thoughts there so um, here's a big question for you okay Archer once he finds out what's going on he still decides to continue the mission Mm -hmm. he tries to defend this to to Paul and Trip. Trip is the one more aggressively um, speaking up against it because he thinks that they've been lied to they've lost a crewman uh, the ship's at danger they should just say no that's it we're going back we're taking you back dr erickson archer puts his foot down twice about this and they're going to crack on even after the ship almost gets destroyed a second time and i guess my question to you would be firstly was archer right to continue the mission that one is a pretty good question um i would say it's one of those where with it's a complicated question and the complicated answer is if archer had no connection to emery then i would say no but since he's got that connection to emery i say he did do the right thing because they had the uh, the relationship with emery you know basically like a second father which would make quinn like a brother to him so he was trying to you know recover his brother yeah, that was going to be the next part. It's literally in my notes. The next thing was saying, like, you know, was he giving Emery more leeway because he saw him as a second father? He says that in the episode that mm-hmm. you were like a second father to me. So I think he was emotionally, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, Attached, involved. Yeah, because of C. I'm trying to think of the whatever. Anyway, basically, yeah, he, he had too much. He had too much of an emotional investment in it, I think, to make yeah. the right decision. And I guess had they known everything beforehand, and Burrow still died it would have been seen as an acceptable risk of Mm -hmm. the mission. But I think because they didn't know what was going on and Burroughs died as a result of it, Burroughs' death for me is manslaughter by our definition. He was murdered, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know. Would you turn around? After all that, would you still turn around? If I was Archer, I would have made Emery hand over control to Trip. The whole thing. 
I'd say, well, fine, we're going we're gonna to do this because we're here now. I don't want to waste Burroughs' life and make him die for nothing, but you are not leading this. I don't think it was right to continue it, but I think he had to continue it, didn't he? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, the Burroughs has died for no reason. As you said, this person's like a brother to him, and he's, he's still out there if you find out there's an opportunity to save someone. And we've seen that in loads of Star Trek where, oh, yeah. in those kind of situations, that they will always choose to try and save that person because it becomes a rescue mission, mm-hmm. doesn't it, eventually? So as the person who asked it, I don't even know what the answer is <laughs> to that one <laughs> at all. So, so so, please, if you guys have anything to add to the discussion, comment in the Nexus or on our post on Twitter. Yeah, let us know. Do you think Archer was right to continue the mission after he found out that Emery Erickson had been lying to them and unnecessarily caused the death of one of Archer's crew? A question slightly unrelated to that is about Paul's storyline. We find out she's trying to learn these teachings of Surak again, and Trip is trying to bring back Movie Night, and he's, as Trip has several times, I guess. Which I, I love that he's still trying to bring back Movie Night. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I, I love Movie Night on the ship. I don't know why it's always got to be like movies that even to us are really, really old, but I guess uh, maybe they're the only thing that survived World War Three. I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, so Trip's still trying to sort of almost create a... An environment for a date, I think it's safe to say, yeah. with DePaul. He's trying to, uh, just a, something that he can almost pass off as to colleagues socializing like they used to. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's a, like a, um, a romantic element to ulterior it. Ulterior motives. Because you know, he's obviously interested in it. <laughs> ulterior motives, yeah. DePaul shuts him down a lot. And by the end, she goes up to him to be fair. And she says, look, because she keeps shutting him down throughout the episode. And she goes and explains to him at the end, saying, look, I've, I'm having to change the way I view the universe right now and i've just had a cure for this illness that i thought was with me for life i don't have time for anything else and part of me thinks that she's just a real horrible person <laughs> for that because i mean there's there's no denying that to paul unnecessarily put trip through a lot of shit the way she behaved after they first slept with each other in season three getting married in front of him <laughs> all these things and she still was the one who'd be like Telling him there's no chance, no shot. So a part of me was like, oh, you're horrible. Yeah. But then another part of me was like, well, you know what? She's detected that actually he keeps trying in an admirable way and that she keeps shooting him down. So actually, maybe if I was Trip, I would have wanted her to come and say that to me. How did you read that situation in that final scene when she went and spoke to him? I think I would have liked to have known right away and not been dragged along but i understand you know metally how they wanted to keep this so that way they kind of keep the the storyline going a little bit longer because we're obviously headed towards i think in about must be in about three no maybe more maybe four or five episodes time trip is going to ask for a transfer off the ship because of yeah everything going on with tapal so uh, this is a ongoing storyline doesn't end there one of my favorite storylines actually in season four is that ongoing character story I think it was interesting they followed up. They didn't forget about the Kashara. They brought it up straight away and it's going on. I don't think they ever mentioned it too much after this, but this was, for me, an honourable mention and a nice way to just maintain continuity. So here's the the question for us. I guess you do your writer's room and everything, so you like to think about what we could have seen. What do you think happens to Emery Erickson after this? Archer says that he thinks everything that... Emery's done will be taken into consideration when Starfleet review the case. But as I said, I, I believe Emery is guilty of manslaughter, whatever version of that someone wants to go for. But I think he was responsible for Burroughs' death. Yeah. And it wasn't an acceptable reason. 
Emery says that maybe he was be put into teaching or something, and at least now he won't need to be cared for by Danica. So he's assuming that yeah. he's going to be in some kind of environment where Danica won't be there. So I don't know if he thinks he's getting locked up or something, but then he talks about teaching. So what do you think happened when he left and he gets taken back to Starfleet? I would think that they do sort of have have, have a, a, a hearing, not so much, you know, a court case, but like a hearing saying, hey, this was bad for the involuntary manslaughter issue. However, we are taking into consideration, you know, all that you've done, you know, techn- technologically for us. So we'll send you to New Zealand for like five months and then we'll stick you teaching transporter school at the academy. My initial thoughts were that he was probably put under like house arrest for... yeah the rest of his life he wasn't allowed to go out anywhere but i think maybe with that or instead of that i don't think it would have been in starfleet's best interests to reveal to the public what he'd done because Mm -hmm. number one it's a new piece of kit that you want to utilize so you don't want to dirty the name of the man who created it and he's obviously very famous worldwide i also don't think at this point when earth is so uh, we know there's xenophobia growing on the planet terra prima we don't know them by name yet, but they are under the surface, growing, developing. I don't think mm-hmm. Starfleet would want anything to go public that would um, make people question anything about like the space right. program and the Starfleet program, whatever you want to call it, any more than they already were. Because the transporter would only really have to exist if you're going to be going out into space, doesn't it? So people would say, yeah. look, this is another reason we shouldn't be out there. We should just stay here on our own solar system and so i don't think they would have gained anything from advertising what happened to him which would have had to happen if he'd been put on any kind of trial uh, or gone to jail i do think he must have gone under some kind of um he would have been detained at his own home i think i think it would have left there i don't know if they would have used him for teaching okay i don't know but i guess maybe the fact they mentioned that suggests that that's exactly what the writing team envisioned being his yeah his future yeah were you aware that his name actually appears in another Star Trek series, Emery Erickson? I went, actually went to his page on, on Memory Alpha, so yes. <laughs> okay, so his name has been tied into the larger canon of Star Trek because it appears in the opening credits of Discovery. I think it's just season two, isn't it? Or is it season one? It's on the shot where they show, you know, they always show technology coming together and stuff. They show the transporter. First season opening credits. Okay, first season. So, and in that, you will see in small print on the screen, Ericsson's name. I mean, that's a really nice detail for one. Yeah. To even pick up on that, you know, a standalone episode of Star Trek. But I just think it's really cool that we've seen that name used again later Mm -hmm. Trek. Like, he's part of Trek lore, Emery Ericsson, whether, you know, he became a bad man, I guess. As you said, though, you know, you saw him as an anti-hero. He he did bad things with the best intentions. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, self-serving best intentions, though, because he couldn't live with his guilty conscience. It wasn't even about getting his son back so much. It was his guilty conscience about the whole situation. But, you know, again, he was trying to bring a life back. But I love that his name's in Discovery because, Chris, I mean, as I said before, you weren't there at the start when the show was airing and people were doing their best like they are now with Discovery and Picard and stuff to discount Enterprise as canon. Yeah. It's not canon. It can't be canon. This, that, blah, 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 the blah, blah. <laughs> so whenever I see anything in another Trek product now for the film, like Beyond, which was a yeah enterprise fans dream that film you know apart from getting an enterprise film right <laughs> and then little mentions on lower decks and stuff like just something that small in the in discovery's opening credits that just again takes something from enterprise and says this is part of trek's history for me 
That's fantastic, and I, I love that. Real Trek fans must have done those bloody credits, though. Something. Who would have thought to do that? Even if you're thinking, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a combat coming together, a phaser. We're going to do the transporter. Yeah. Who would have thought, oh, what was the name of that guy in that Enterprise episode? So I, I love that detail. Let's have a chat about the cinematography very quickly. The, okay. The lighting was obviously very dark throughout this episode because of trying to save the power for the experiments. Yeah. I mean, did you like that look for the show? Or at one point you're thinking, wow, this is a bit dark, this episode. I think it kind of shows, you know, as it starts out dark, but then, you know, towards the end of the episode, it does shift into to the lighter bits. And I think that's sort of almost represent, representative of Emery himself, if you think about it. That's a very valid point, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. You know, sad, dark, depressed. And then, you know, as the episode goes on, it gets lighter because we're getting closer to the closing up of what's causing the darkness and sadness. I quite like the attention to detail of that because they need to divert power and things like that to then have scenes in ready rooms and crew cabins and such be so darkly lit and engineering. I just thought, what a nice attention to detail. Yeah. To keep that going for the episode, something that just wouldn't normally be done. They'll just get you. Just hear them in the dialogue say, oh, "If you need more power, then divert something from this, uh, from life support to that, or shields to that, whatever they do." You don't ever really see it. You don't see anything for forty minutes that is reminding you that that's what's going on. And I think that was a really nice touch here, and it's maybe something that Enterprise wouldn't have even done in its more standalone days of season one and two. You might not have seen that um, that detail. So there's two shots in this episode that really wind me up though, because they're out of the blue. Okay. It's during the final bit. So this was directed, by the way, by David Strayton. Strayton. Don't, I don't know him for any other work he's done. But in that final bit with the transporter, when they're trying to get Quinn to reappear, there's two shots on Emery where they zoom in on him really quick on his yeah. face. And it's the only time they do it. And they do it in this sequence twice on him. And I don't get it. It takes me out of the moment every time. The shot makes no sense to me. Why... Why are they panning in on him so quick as if trying to add tension to the scene? It's the kind of thing they were doing when, you know, the Enterprise was getting the shit kicked into it by the Zindi. Yeah. These quick pans in on people and in the bridge and stuff. But it made no sense they were doing it here with, with Emery and then not with any of the rest of them in that situation. I mean, those annoyed me a little bit just because they just didn't fit everything else going on. If the whole scene had been like it, maybe I would have I wouldn't have even noticed it probably. But that it just felt a bit weird there and then. Are you happy with how the show looked though as a whole? As a whole, yeah, and actually just kind of looking into Strayton's other directing appearances, he did Desert Crossing, A Night in Sick Bay, Vanishing Point, Ceasefire, Anomaly, The Shipment, North Star, Stormfront Part 2, and then also Babel 1. Holy shit. Yeah, he did 10 episodes, so yeah. Well, it's funny that he did uh, Anomaly, because I mentioned the two shots I didn't like, but I remember when, yeah. an- when Anomaly... Ed, I remember people observing that in that episode, the camera is almost always moving. Mm-hmm. That even if it's the smallest of, move- of movements, the camera is moving all the time rather than just being static as it often could be in Star Trek. And that was a positive thing. And, and that's great. But it's funny that in this one, it just felt it was moving too much on those yeah. couple of shots for me. But I thought the episode visually looked really good. I loved there's one bit I love in the engine room when Archer's with Danica Mm-hmm. up on the, the upper level and they come underneath you know like the um, I guess what is it the pylons going up to the yeah. cells and they have to duck under them to walk further down the bridge uh, the bridge the catwalk yeah the catwalk there so I just love that detail of them ducking under the pylon there just I not something we always saw on the show I just thought that was really yeah. cool and I loved that shot engineering looked really big in some of the shots in this episode I don't know if it was because of the lighting because they had to darken some bits 
for the power saving and then light use some other lighting. It just seems really big in there. So I was a big fan. And even when DePaul's having that conversation with Trip at the end, they're shooting it from they're up on the top again on the second mm-hmm. second level. Normally we would have seen it with the warp core behind us. Right. And we would have shot against the wall. And it would have seemed quite small. But in this instance he shot it from from against the wall. Yeah. Of the engineering. So you could see all of engineering uh, in the in the background, and it just seemed like this massive hub of activity going on, which you assume it always is. But uh, I don't really recall seeing the engine room filmed so so beautifully for an entire episode. Every time you saw it, so uh, I thought they used that set really well, and because that, that was a beautiful set, the the NXO one yeah. engine room is something special, man. Okay, Chris, should we have seen this story about the transporter and the creation of it? Should we have seen it earlier? In Star Trek Enterprises run, rather than hidden amongst a load of serialized storytelling and yeah, mini arcs in season four. Uh, well, that's a good question because I don't think we could fit it anywhere in season three. You might have been able to squeeze it in somewhere in season two or season one, like early season one. But I think to to kind of understand where Archer is, you kind of need a little bit more than just you know five or six episodes. Mm. to kind of understand why he would have such such a strong connection. Yeah, I think he could have done it early in season one and still maintained that part of things because um, we knew it very early on in the show, well, the first episode, that Archer really had a lot of hang-ups about his dad, which we hadn't really heard much about on the show for a while by yeah. this time. And so I guess we would have understood why Archer was latching on to Emery a bit more yeah. Maybe if it was if this episode was closer to ones where Henry Archer was more important to to Archer to Jonathan Archer's character as a whole. Even though it's always there in the background a bit. It comes to the surface every now and then, stuff about his dad, but Yeah. But it wasn't as important late on in the show as it was early on. And I could kind of see the you know, oh we've got a, a warp five ship out there now. So he just launched right, actually we need to go address this transporter thing, so let's get that done now. So I could have seen it earlier on. Yeah. But I kind of like that we saw it later because it wasn't like a tick box of, all right, it's season one. We've just got the first Warp 5 ship. Now let's do the first, let's do an episode about how the transporter came about. Let's do an episode about the origins of this, 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 and this. Yeah. I like that this one, as we said earlier, hadn't really crossed our minds about where this transporter ever came from. We know it must have been quite recent mm-hmm. when you think about it because we saw what they were doing 100 years earlier or 90 years earlier on Earth. Look how Zephram Cochrane was living. So they yeah. did not have transporters then. So would have subconsciously known the technology was relatively recent mm-hmm. and that we would have, that we could have met the guy who created it. I like that it came later. I do think the episode gets lost though. Yeah. The episode that follows it, Observer Effect, is one of, the, I think, one of the best episodes of Star Trek yeah. as a whole. So it's unfortunate for Daedalus that it's, <laughs> that it's right before that. It's right there. And right after like a fantastic Vulcan three-parter as well. It's just plopped in there. It's re- it's really unfortunate. With, with all the stuff with T'Pol, you know, reading the Kirshara, we could say that this is the epilogue for that. Yeah, you could say part four. Yeah. If we were to ever, you know, kind of do a keep it or, or toss it, we could squeeze in Daedalus just for the T'Pol bits. Yeah. Okay. There we go. We can do, we'll we'll do that in the future then. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on this episode, man? Like, is it a? It's always a thumbs up for Enterprise. Yeah. How high is that thumb? raised though for this episode i'd say you know just you know watching it by itself with, with our knowledge of you know what's gone 
you know, before it, but, you know, just keeping it, you know, just with those four episodes, I'd definitely list this as a a true hidden gem and not just one, oh, I like it, so it's a hidden gem, Mm. but I'd say it is a true hidden gem. And one that only Enterprise could have done. Yeah. One of those stories that none of the other shows could have done, but, but this one. Whenever Enterprise was doing stories that only Enterprise could do, mm-hmm. it was knocking out of the park every time. And uh, I think Scott Bakula was was so good in this episode. Oh yeah, as well. I thought I thought he was fantastic. There's a bit actually when he's in the scene with Emery where he's saying, "No, if you just told me what was going on," and it's very darkly lit the scene, mm-hmm. but it looks like Archer is his eyes are welling up. It looks that way anyway. Maybe it could be the lighting that did that. I said to Katie, I was like, oh, "I feel like we're, the lighting is losing some of Scott." Bakula's fantastic acting in the scene because because he looks emotional. Yes, I thought he was so good in this as well. Yeah. I thought Bill Cobb's fantastic as uh, so dislikable as yeah. Emery Erickson. I'd say more cur- curmudgeonly than dislikable. Okay, okay. Uh, Le- Leslie Silver as Danica Erickson. She was she did enough. Yeah, she wasn't bad in the role. She did good at what she had. She didn't jump off the screen at me at all. But you know, I, yeah. I thought I thought everyone did a really good job though. Yeah, and and I think. Th- Really, this one was more, you know, for Bill Cobbs to sort of, you know, be highlighted. I mean, not not just mm. because he got he got most of the lines, but he he is a good actor in his own right. Yeah, and Enterprise didn't always make the guest star such a heavy focus of its mm-hmm. of its episodes, and so uh, this was a yeah a little change of pace for the show, particularly in in in, in this season. So yeah, uh, for me, a big thumbs up, and it's why I recommended it because we should probably address an elephant in the room. We haven't tackled a season three episode yet. And before this, we'd only tackled uh, These Are the Voyages from season four, which I don't really count it as part of what was going on in season four. So I think it was important that we did a season four episode. And this one jumped up to me straight away that we should do it. But also, I want to just let everyone who's listening to this, I was going to say everyone at home, but people listen to podcasts everywhere. I think it's important to say that we both love season three and four. Mm-hmm. And we want to tackle season three and four, but because they're not standalone all the time, it's not as easy as just picking one up and talking about it. We want to make sure we do it properly. So, you know, if we want to do one of the three parters of season four, I don't want to do that in 40 or 50 minute podcast. I want us to say, well, look, let's spend two or three weeks breaking yeah. down or each week, just do one one episode of the three parter and, and more. You know, we want to season three needs proper attention i don't think we can jump into season three for one episode then leave it for six weeks to go and talk about other subjects so we're just waiting for the right time to jump in on that we're going to be talking about the temporal cold war in upcoming weeks and that will obviously then lead us into eventually the zindi attack on earth which i think once we get to that on this show i can't wait really one of the best best parts of of not just enterprise but star trek yeah, and also the relevance it had to like Star Trek Beyond, you know, mm-hmm. was, um, the villain of that was a Mako, and uh, the Makos only ended up in Starfleet because of the Zindi, <laughs> or involved in yeah. Starfleet because of the Zindi conflict, so I think maybe we can even take a look at Beyond, who knows, um, yeah. be, be a crossover with your other podcast series. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure Mike and Allie wouldn't mind jumping on talking about it. So. Yeah, everyone on, we'll have a big uh, 
a big extended family dinner, so to speak. On December 16th, 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Star Trek Enterprise novel, Sirach's Soul. This is the third original Enterprise novel, following By the Book and What Price Honor, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss on December 16th, then please dig out your copy of Sirach's Soul or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club discussion. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. As proud as I am of my disco children for all they have accomplished this episode, I would just like to say, this is why seatbelts are important, and please, I beg of you to find some in this new future. They have learned nothing. I know. I know Belinda, and I know how important this is to you, and I, someday someone's going to listen to you. Well, it's it's context, I think, they consider with the, the inertial dampeners and everything. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm-hmm, that really Because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or Mm -hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? (laughs) It's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Well, here's here's the thing, though, okay? This is very prescient. Because right. this presents us with a future where people are isolated and disconnected. Yep. This was written and filmed before, before. the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Brandy. This is the this is this is I mean, I, this is the universe saying we need this art mm-hmm. in this world right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Computer deactivate Holosuite.